Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. I uh, hope you brought your Bible today. If you did, please turn to John chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, I would love to, if you don't have one, I'd love to give you one and come see me after the worship service. I will get you a Bible. Um, let's bring our Bibles to church. I know some of you taking out your phones right now and looking up Scripture on your phones. That's good, but you can't write on your phone. Actually, I'm sure some of you can figure it out. Um, John chapter 10. Starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we come to your word today because it helps reveal who you are in a way that is um, gives us images that we can hang on to, like this good shepherd. We pray that you would help this image of a good shepherd uh, become real to us, that we would see you um, really in this way, and that we would be changed deeply as we reflect on your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to look at John, the Gospel of John, and some of the I am statements where Jesus tells us who he is, and perhaps the most beloved of these I am statements is this one right here, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Um, I want to look at three things that Jesus reveals about him being our good shepherd, three things that Jesus is the source of in our life, absolutely necessary things that Jesus is the source of in our life. Um, through him being our good shepherd. And the first one is this, the good shepherd is the source of our salvation. Now there's another place in the Bible where Jesus talks about um, taking, well, there's a few other places where he, where sheep are mentioned. Um, There's another prominent place where Jesus talks about caring for The sheep, and that is Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, Imagine someone with a hundred sheep, one 
wanders off from the flock? Wouldn't he, Jesus asked, go, go looking for that, that little sheep? And when he finds it, wouldn't he joyfully put it on his shoulders and carry it back home? It's a great, great parable. Um, why would the shepherd put the sheep on his shoulders after going to rescue it, going to find it? Um, why not just point the sheep back in the right direction? Why not walk in the right direction and encourage this, this sheep to walk alongside you? Well, because it's a sheep and it's not a dog, right? Um, if my dogs got out of the yard and ran down the block, I could go after my dogs and find my dogs and uh, call my dogs. And one of my dogs would come to me and then would follow me all the way back home. And the other dog wouldn't do that, but the other dog would find its way back home. She, she would find her way back home because she's done it many, many, many times. Um, smart dog. Uh, but, but sheep aren't like that. Sheep are utterly dependent on the shepherd when they get lost. And they won't just follow the shepherd back. The shepherd has to carry them, that sheep, back on his or her shoulders. And a lot of people, when they uh, think of Jesus, and when, maybe when they think of Jesus being the good shepherd, they think, ah, He's got wonderful teaching. He, he directs us in the right way. Or, oh, Jesus is a wonderful companion, that shepherd that is next to and with the sheep, the, the wonderful companion. Jesus is a wonderful friend. He walks with me. And these things, of course, are very true about Jesus, wonderful teacher and wonderful companion. But Jesus reveals something absolutely essential about himself and sometimes unpopular about himself, and it's this right here. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What makes the shepherd good? Jesus says, because I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says that four times in this passage that we read. Jesus is saying, I I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to save the sheep, even if it means laying down my life, and that's exactly what it does take. Now, I said that can be an unpopular thought. How so? Well, because of this. Because it implies something. You are unable to save yourself. The sheep are unable to save themselves. We are unable to save ourselves. We are utterly lost in sin and cannot save ourselves in the least bit. We need more than a good teacher, don't we? You know, a teacher can tell you, here's a good direction for you to, to, to go. If you want to get back home, go down to the stop sign, take a left, and you know, the house is the third on the right. Um, a teacher can get you in a good direction, and, and a good direction is definitely helpful. Stay on the path. But first and foremost, the sheep need someone to save it from the lion that is about to eat it. And the difficult thing to recognize today is that we are, without the good shepherd, about to be eaten by a lion. 
and that lion is sin. And what Jesus knows and what so many people avoid is that we all face death and destruction because of sin and that through Adam and Eve and their original sin, there is this sin that is in every single person and you can't escape it. And it is so pronounced and deep that no matter what you do, you never be able to be right on right with God on your own efforts. And what Jesus knew is the only way for us to be saved was for him to lay down his life and for him to allow the sin to completely destroy, destroy him, our sin to completely destroy him so that it wouldn't destroy us. Now, you may say, Pastor, this is a pretty heavy way to start this sermon, right? I mean, shouldn't you kind of work up to, to that? Talk about Jesus laying down his life because we're all sinners. Maybe start by talking about Jesus, the shepherd, taking care of his sheep and feeding his sheep and leading his sheep to the right meadows. And and then at the end, when we're all loving the shepherd, then we'll be ready for Jesus rescuing us from sin. Well, I'm, I'm just following Jesus' outline here from this, this passage. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Why? Point one, because I lay my, my life down for my sheep. So point one, Jesus is the good shepherd because he is the one and only source of our salvation. He lays down his life. Point two, the good shepherd is the source of our identity. See, the reason that uh, original sin and how we receive that sin in our life is so unpopular is because I want to feel better about myself and not worse. <laughs> through this passage and through Jesus being our good shepherd, um, we see that the only way to a healthy, thriving identity is by confessing your need for the good shepherd. Why? Well, look at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. You know, if you were to see um, a friend that you hadn't seen in a long, long time, maybe a decade or more, um, if you saw that, that old friend, you might say, hey, I know you, kind of in that fun way. I know you. Well, of course you know him. Of course he knows you or she. I know you. You know, Jesus is saying much more than, hey, I recognize you. I know you. He's saying much more than he recognizes that his sheep and his sheep recognize him. The, let me, I, the way that this verse actually appears in the original language, I put in your, your sermon note page. Um, and verse 14 really goes like this. I know my own, and I am known by mine. Do you hear how personal that is? I know my own, and I am known by mine. And then he continues, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, just as there means in the same manner as. I know my own. I am known by mine in the same manner that the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, of course, Jesus isn't saying, 
He'd recognize his father if he were walking down the street. Hey, there's father. That's not what he's saying. Of course. I know my father. He knows his father inside and out. He's in this intimate relationship with his father. And in the same manner, Jesus says, I know my own. I know my own sheep. That's how Jesus knows you, inside and out. There's only one reason why Jesus would come to know you inside and out. What is it? Jesus knows you because he loves you. You see, the gospel, as it has been said before like this, is a great way of putting it. The gospel is that you are more sinful in need of saving than you ever believed, and you are more loved by Jesus than you ever hoped. You're more sinful than you ever believed, but you're more loved by Jesus than you ever hoped. That's the gospel. And in this point that we read, I know my sheep. I know you because you're mine. Jesus is saying, in this point, it's the crux of the story. If you are new to Christianity, and want to get what it is all about, you could say that it's about the power of the love of Jesus Christ. Christ's love has the power to save you, and Christ's love has the power to change you. You see, when you really understand that you have no power to save yourself, and Jesus gave up his life to save you, that has to change you. It has to change you. How? How does it have to change you? I want to look at the context of this story. Um, Who is Jesus talking to in John chapter 10? I'm the good shepherd. He's actually talking to the Pharisees. When he says all this about himself, he's talking to the Pharisees. In John chapter 9, right before this, right before Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, uh, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees confront that blind man or the the healed blind man about this. Um, And they have some words. And it's not too pretty. Um, I'm pretty sure that neither party, healed blind man, the Pharisees, I'm pretty sure they didn't like one another very much. And here's what the Pharisees wind up saying to the man that Jesus healed. Chapter 9, verse 34, uh, they say to him, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now it's that. It's that exchange that gives rise to Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd to the Pharisees. Now it's interesting. The story takes place... Um, verse 22, if you look a little further in your Bible, uh, this story takes place right at the, temp- uh, the uh, Festival of Dedication, which we know better as Hanukkah. This story takes place at Hanukkah. And you may know Hanukkah to be the celebration of how God miraculously makes the lamp oil last not one night, but eight nights. That's maybe all you know about Hanukkah. Um, there's, there's more to it than that. 
Um, it's, it's the festival of dedication. It's the rededication of the temple. That's what it's celebrating. Uh, several hundred years before Jesus was born, the, the Greeks who were, they were in charge. Um, the, the Jews lived in the Greek empire. Uh, several hundred years before Jesus was born, the Greeks uh, completely desecrated the, uh, the Jewish temple. Um, and so Hanukkah celebrates the rededication of the temple, the, the cleansing, the purification of the Jewish temple. But the rededication of the temple was also um, a reaction against certain Jewish priests that had cooperated with the Greeks to gain power. They had desecrated themselves. They had become corrupt. They had become bad shepherds of Israel. One of the traditional scriptures read at Hanukkah, let me read this to you, is Ezekiel chapter 34. Read this, and I want you to keep in mind what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Uh, this is Ezekiel 34. Because my shepherds did not search for my, clock, my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock, for this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and will look after them. So when Jesus says to the Pharisees, I am the good shepherd, and it's at Hanukkah, it's not just him positively pointing to himself, saying I'm the good shepherd, he's also taking direct aim at the Pharisees for being poor shepherds of Israel, for their lack of love. They are false shepherds who don't care anything for their sheep. Why this lack of love for the, from, from the Pharisees? I'm going to give you three reasons. Um, I'm going to go through these real quick, and then I'll release junior hires. Uh, to kind of talk about this more. Uh, Three things that move us, that would move someone to a more inward, self-focused life. These are common things we battle all the time. Three desires of the human heart that focus our hearts inwardly and help us, move us to, to focus on ourselves. And here they are. The desire for safety, security. The desire for power, control the desire for esteem and approval. So if I feel threatened in some way, I'll, if my safety or security is threatened, I will focus inwardly. If uh, I feel things are getting out of my control, I feel like I'm losing power on the situation, my tendency, what's it going to be? It's going to be to refocus on myself, trying to regain control of the situation. I'll figure out a way for me to get back in power. And if I'm feeling down about myself, I will turn inwardly. I will even subconsciously look for ways to prop myself back up. And I'll start having this self-focused life. Now, don't you see that all of these things are fulfilled when we see Jesus as our good shepherd, and we'll talk about that. Junior hires, as you go, you can talk about that. Those three things 
and how they're fulfilled when we see Jesus as our good shepherd. So let's take your desire for safety and security. How is that fulfilled when we see Jesus as our good shepherd? Safety and security. What uh, what does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still or quiet waters. He restores my soul. And even though... Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for why? You are with me, your rod and your staff. They go before me. Do you see how Jesus, the Good Shepherd, fulfills this desire of ours for safety, security? Because he's, he's our Good Shepherd. He's going before us with his rod and his staff. He's leading us to pleasant places. We can trust Jesus to keep us safe and secure. What about your desire for power and control? Uh, The reason we want (laughs) power and control is because we often equate these two things. We equate things being out of our control with things being out of control. We see those as equal. If I'm out of control, that means... It must be out of control. And that's, that's not right. I can be completely out of control, but the situation can be completely in control by my good shepherd, Jesus Christ. When was the last time you really rested in Jesus being in control of your life, even though things seem shaky? To you... You didn't know how things were going to work out, and you've been able to just trust Jesus. You're my good shepherd. I'm going to rest with you having power and control of this situation. And finally, your desire for esteem and approval. Uh, Your desire for a personal identity that will bring about happiness. I mean, everyone wants to feel happy and and good about themselves. How, How do people do that? Well, in Western society, one of the ways that we do that is through status and success. A success at anything, small things even. Um, that's why the little voice on your exercise app on your phone is so motivating. You know, you've just walked 5,000 steps. Way to go. You're doing great. Well, yes, I am. I'm doing great. I'm going to walk 5,000 more steps. Thank you very much. Um, you know, we, we, <laughs> we look for anything to prop ourselves up, right? <laughs> um, I've been asked to give an important presentation to the board of directors. That's, that's a good thing. I've raised kids that um, do well in school. That's a good thing. I live in a nice neighborhood. That's a good thing. I, I'm in good health, physically fit. That's a good thing. These are all good things. We look to these small little things to prop ourselves up. They all bring a little bit of positive happiness with them. They make us feel good about ourselves. But when we do that, even without thinking about it, we will notice those who don't share those same achievements and think, ah, there's someone maybe I'm doing a little better at. Even if it's just in a small little way. You know, if everyone lived in a nice neighborhood, then 
you know, maybe it's not that special. <laughs> if everyone was selected to give the, the big presentation to the board of directors, maybe it's not that special. Maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal. We want things to be a big deal. And so we look to how that applies to us and not to someone else. And see, this is one of the reasons why the Pharisees were so judgmental of sinners is because they built their identity in no small part on their ability to follow the Jewish codes that they believed were necessary to follow God's law. That was their identity. We follow the law. And this motivated them to be super hyper-judgmental of those who didn't do that because they were able to look at someone else and say, ha-ha, look at us, and they propped themselves up. So they would look at sinners and say, see how good we are. We're not like them. Listen, how does John chapter 10 tell us we can view our life? Jesus gave up, his good, the good shepherd gave up his last breath for you. How's that for approval? <laughs> he said, you're worth my very last breath. He says, you're worth my very last drop of blood. And Jesus says, I am the son of God. And that makes you pretty valuable. That's your worth, his very last breath and drop of blood. You are infinitely loved. And when you really get that, oh, it has to change you, doesn't it? It makes you loving. And this leads us to point three. The good shepherd is the source of our unity. It's the source of our unity. Look at verse 16 one more time. This is the verse that if you glance through these eight verses, it's the one that seems just a little bit out of place. Like it doesn't quite fit all of these statements. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. And then he says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. And I must bring them also. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Almost like it's this, he slips it in, he slides it in. By the way, there are other sheep too. It may seem out of place until you realize how important it is to Jesus that there is one flock. See, Jesus was able to build a unity in his believers like this world had ne- has never seen before. Um, because he, and only he, is able to give his believers this rock-solid identity needed for people to show real love to people who are radically different than themselves. You know, if our identity is built not on some action or accomplishment of our own, if your identity is built not on your action or your accomplishment, but rather on Jesus' action and Jesus' accomplishment. He laid down his life for you so that you could know that you are of of infinite value. If you do that, you don't need to compare yourself with someone else to build up your identity. You already have it. So Christianity is the only world religion that has been able to permeate itself through any culture or any nationality. It's been able to permeate all six continents, Antarctica. I'm not quite sure how many people are living in Antarctica. Um, But certainly the six inhabited continents, 
Christianity's been able to permeate this world like no other religion has. Why? Because when I'm a Christian, I'm not building my identity on national or ethnic culture, on, on what, what, the, what the culture says to do. I'm not, I, don't, I don't need to depend on that for my identity or trends or customs or habits. I'm able to, de- to build my identity on what Jesus has done. And so if you're a Christian, you can love anyone. And that's a good thing because here is one big guarantee. Jesus is going to bring people a lot different than me into the church. He's building one flock, he says in verse 16, one flock. The Pharisees have a hard time with this. Well, what about sinners, Jesus? Are you going to let them in? Surely they're not in your flock. Jesus says, yes, they are one flock. And I've died for you so that you can know my love so that you can love them. Building one flock. Now, commentators believe that Jesus is talking about the Gentiles here. Got, got other sheep that, that aren't here that are going to bring them into this flock. Non-Jews, the Pharisees would be thinking, Jesus, surely not non-Jews. They're not a part of the flock, right? Jesus says, one flock. Building one flock. And so the church should, should be the absolutely most loving, most welcoming, most forgiving, most accepting group of people on this planet. And this is a guarantee. When you are a part of the flock, God, Christ's flock, you're going to run into other Christians who are different than you and think differently than you do. And Jesus says, I'm building one flock. Now I'm going to be the shepherd of one flock. Jesus, can there be multiple flocks? It seems like it would be a lot easier, Jesus, if there were multiple flocks. And, you know, people who are kind of like-minded can flock together and do their own thing over there. And we can do our own thing over here. People can get along better if they're in these different groups. Jesus says, nope, it's not how we're going to do it. One flock. Why, Jesus? Why do it that way? Because, because. He gets to say, because. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 say this. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, Why one flock, Jesus? Because it's the mystery of my will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the mystery of God's will or Christ's will to, to make one flock of forgiven, loved, redeemed sheep so that the love of Christ may be revealed in us as we then love others who are different than we are. So that you can love someone who's different than you are. That's how the Good Shepherd is most glorified. Now we're about to celebrate communion. We're going to sing a song. 
about us coming to God, about us coming to our good shepherd, knowing that he laid down his life for us and he will accept us. But as we come to this communion table, we should not think of this as just this individual one-on-one meal that we're having with Christ. As you're sitting in your seat, it's not you and Jesus. It's all of us in this room sharing this meal together with Christ. This is a meal that Jesus invites his flock to. As you're sharing this bread and cup with Jesus, you're sharing it with one another. You're sharing it with, we, with me. We're sharing it together. And I want you to think about, one, how deeply you are loved by Jesus, your shepherd, willing to lay down his life for you. And two, how deeply you are called to love each other. In fact, everyone who comes into this room called to love sinners because we are sinners, forgiven sinners, redeemed sinners. So let's pray. We'll prepare ourselves to share this meal together. Our Lord and Jesus, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thank you that... Um, that when we wandered from you, when we were unable to find our way back, when we had no inclination to find our way back, and you sought us out, you delivered us, you rescued us, and you put us on your shoulders, and you carried us back because we couldn't get back any other way than by you completely rescuing us. As we eat and drink, help us to realize the depths of your love. Help us to come before you uh, with our sins, confessing our sins, knowing that we're forgiven of our sins, no matter what those sins are. Help us to know the great lengths that you traveled to to rescue us. You came all the way down from heaven to earth. so that you could rescue and redeem. Help us to know all these things. Help us to be changed in our hearts. Help us to to be changed by your love. We pray that we would leave different from this worship service than we came. In Christ's name.